Uh, my name is Dave Corning, and uh, you're going to hear from my wife, Betsy, in just a minute. Um, we've been married for 44 years, and I have three children, and I have ten grandchildren. I was speaking to my friend right here, and he's way ahead of me. <laughs> he's way ahead of me, but it's been a joy. So I'm going to have Betsy. She is the director or the executive director of Entrusted Ministries. And she started this ministry 20-plus years ago. And I'll let her explain what the ministry is all about and how it can be even implemented and so forth and the different ways you can use it. Um, and then at the end, I'll come up and share something to conclude, okay? Let's see. I was going to pray. <laughs> I always need to pray. <laughs> so let me do that. Father, thank you again. Thank you for the worship that we've just experienced. Thank you for the Word of God that was preached to us. And so clearly, Father, help us to apply it to our lives. Father, I was just struck by, do not passively think about our lives as Christians. Father, we gotta run. We gotta, we're here for a purpose. Father, help us to apply that to our lives. So Lord, be with us now. Be with Betsy as she, as she speaks. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to just grab this for a couple of... Is that okay? I'm moving now. Just to put a couple of things up here so I don't have to... Well, good morning. As uh, Pastor Ken said, is that what you call him, Pastor Ken? Or Pastor... Uh, we taught yesterday on parenting and marriage, and it was such a privilege. You have a very hospitable church, I want you to know, and... We appreciated that so much. Getting to know some of you has been so much fun for us. Uh, but Pastor Ken asked me today if I would share about how the ministry got started in Trusted Ministries, which started about uh, 20 years ago. So we were, 30 years ago, we were involved in starting a church in the Chicago area. And I remember... Um, because my husband was one of the elders, that often the elders would be asked to come in and speak to families in crisis, and they would have one of the elders' wives come along sort of as a support for the woman and to, you know, listen from all perspectives and give counsel. And I think that my husband and I were realizing in this young church, there were so many issues, so many crises, and we thought how we're spending so much energy solving issues that are so far down uh, the road to crises, and how could we intervene before they got to that point? David and I would look at each other. We had been with the Navigators for 12 years, and we had the luxury of people pouring into our lives, and we knew it was a luxury. We thought, well, how can we uh, give back and pour into the into others what we have received? Really, that's what Second Timothy two says, doesn't it? We got a call one day from a couple who had been our very close friends for a long time, for many years, and they said they were giving up on their marriage, and we just we just couldn't believe it. And, and and it really made us look introspectively. We we had been so close to them. 
How how was it that God was able to protect our marriage and they were giving up? And I'm happy to say that through some encouragement and um, that they, this 30 years later, are still together. But I, I will never forget the impact of how profoundly that hit, hit us. That, you know what, David, you and I could make five little missteps and we would be there. So how can we encourage, especially young families, that they keep the steady course? I think that was a appropriate message. Thanks for preparing that today for me. Uh, today, to keep on the course, to keep on the course, despite all the obstacles we endure. In fact, uh, I think it's interesting that when I wrote this book, I dedicated it to, to my family and every family who lives for Jesus and endures to the end. We will have... Uh, some hard things in our lives. A lot of those hard things are put in our lives to sanctify us. But so often we try to pray them away. Sometimes we try to pray the Lord's will out of our lives. But anyway, so I was thinking, how can, how can our church effectively reach and intervene so that people are on a steady biblical course in their marriage and families? So I started to pray about it. And I prayed really earnestly about it, and I started to read the Bible through on what the what the Bible said about families. I wanted to make sure that the counsel that we gave was really solid. And you know what? A few years later, our church decided to start a mom's ministry. And David and I had always done discipleship together, and I had never thought, well, I, I would do something just with the ladies. I thought, no, I always want to do ministry with my husband but they approached me and said, and we chose you to lead it. And I thought, well, that must be because my kids are the oldest in the church. I didn't really think I was qualified. I thought, oh, my goodness. Uh, but I, it took me like a nanosecond to say yes. Not because I thought I was qualified, but I just thought, Lord, you have had me praying for this for two years. You have been preparing my heart. You have had me reading the Bible with this theme in mind. You are calling me. I realized when you see a need and you pray and the opportunity comes that you probably will realize the Lord is calling you to be the answer. So it took me really no time at all to say, okay, I'll do it. And that first year we had, uh, you know, I realized this is a huge need because we immediately had over 200 ladies sign up to the mom's ministry and I really thought, the church asked me to write it going from the school year. So that was like 25 weeks. And I thought, oh, they don't know. I only, I think I could talk for three weeks, and then I'm going to tell them everything I know in three weeks, and then what's going to happen. I'm not, what's going to happen? But the word of God is not like that, is it? Because when I got done with the 24, 25 weeks, I actually had three more weeks that I could have done and taught on. The Lord's word is so rich, and he has so much to say about it. So I set the course of setting out a steady uh, plotting, a steady course that I could teach people from the Bible. Now, not a, a formulaic approach that we would all be the same in any way. I mean, isn't that the neat thing about the people in God's family in the body of Christ. We're not the same, and he's not calling us to be all the same. But we have some things about us that we uh, 
the, the foundation that is sure and steady and is unchanging and about those things we are willing to stake our lives on, those are all common among all of us, but then we develop uh, from those biblical convictions, personal convictions and standards for our own family that we personally are convinced of, and that's why we call them convictions, because we are convinced in our hearts this is how the Lord would have us to live. So I remember thinking at that time, I taught that class for a year, and I thought there must be a 100 studies like this in the country. There must be, you know... I will do this for one year, and then I'll be done because, really, I was so exhausted. But then I started to hear from people literally all over the world looking for the study, and somehow they had heard about it. I think missionary families are pretty uh, incredible because missionary families literally took this study to to six continents in that first year, and uh, it was pretty amazing. I felt like not trying on my own to do any of this, but the Lord was leading out, and it was taking on a life of its own. So that year, we taught, and I taught that class for 11 years, and I was pretty worn out after 11 years, and our church said, we're going to help you record this so that it's easier to disseminate and transfer. And we did that, and now I would say, so that was 2007, 2007, we're now at the point where we really feel we need to re-record. I really didn't want to do that. You're not going to believe this, but I'm not an upfront person at all. I'm definitely a behind-the-scenes person. I do it out of obedience to the Lord, right? I'm sure you can relate to that. But I, um, this is actually, just for the sake of a visual, this is our seventh notebook. Um, this is the notebook that the moms go through. In a number, there's there's 20 lessons, an intro, and 20 lessons. This year, we are instead of reprinting the materials, we're recording it, and it'll all be online, and churches will be able to subscribe to it. I really, really have a profound sense of need as I've traveled all over and uh, spoken with families, and I see the needs of moms, and I still teach it live to this day. And I realized that uh, it, it really meets a need for community among young women. Young women, sometimes, I've noticed, in larger churches, they don't tend to engage in the women's ministry as much. I don't know if that's true at this church. But they need something for that very busy time of life to be encouraged. I would say the number one reason I wrote this is I felt like I want women to be encouraged in the things that they're doing. That course that they're taking, I want them to be able to endure. I want them to be able to endure through uh, the discipline and the, the challenges of their children's lives. And I think when David said we have ten grandchildren, that only makes us more aware of what the young moms are going through. I have two-year-old twin girls right now that are our grandchildren, and they definitely remind me of everything that you're going through. It's like a repeat course. So we did those years, and um, the interesting thing about it is I always thought, 
wow, nobody writes a Bible study. That's like 25 weeks. You have to be crazy. Because then I would have 25 verses that they'd memorize. And then I would have to have 25 songs to go with the verses. And all of these things that we've done over the years. And to change, and it's just so long. Why would anybody do that? And people would say to me, well, why don't you make it just six weeks? Why don't you make it eight weeks or ten weeks? And believe me, I've thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. But God in his sovereignty that first year made it be that long. And I see the beauty of it because women go deep. If you spend six weeks together, you really might not know each other. You really might not be talking about that issue that's deeply impacting you. You might not talk about your own childhood, but when you go through several weeks together, you start to let yourself be known, and you start to open up, and we have a, a small groups of people. We're not sharing everything, but we're learning how to pray for each other. We're learning how to minister to each other. We're learning uh, if a single mom needs meals or help with her children, and we're ministering to each other, and that is happening through the year. So um, what I've been amazed to see is that many people don't just do the Entrusted Program for one year, but they will do it year after year after year because young moms will come in, and it's a great way to assimilate not just young families into the body, but also people in the community. I would say that the times that I've done it live, that we have always had between 20 and 40 churches represented. So what a great way for young moms to invite their friends with young children and just say, come and see what the Lord has to say. They don't have any homework. That's the that's what they love. Well, they kind of do. They don't have to do, you know, a lot of work during the week except to memorize one, maybe two verses, because I feel like those are the things that the Holy Spirit will impress upon their hearts in time of need, that time when you're disciplining, that time when you feel like, I need encouragement, I can't go on, Uh, when is this going to end, or whatever, that the Lord will bring those words to your heart and mind and really minister to you. So they learn a scripture memory, but also they do a home front application, because Really, what we need to know is how to work with mom and dad together like this so that they are a team in building their marriage and family. So there's a home front application that's just one little page. It just gives husbands and wives maybe 45 minutes to talk through what she's been learning so they have this uh, similar understanding. So that all developed from that. But after 11 years, I realized... My number one question was, well, seriously, my number one question that I get from women, how do I get my husband to blank? And isn't that what Pastor Ken talked about this morning? We don't. We don't. And uh, the the second question I got was, well, how do I get my husband to hear all of this teaching, not just simply the home front application and so then we actually wrote this whole book, which now people didn't need to watch the DVDs. But this is a book for couples, and they would do the parenting class. This is 16 lessons. It's a lot. It's a lot. I'll tell you, if you ever wanted to pick a very hard topic to write on, pick marriage and family. Because it has to encompass so much, and... 
And it has to be biblically sound. And there's sometimes I think, well, I could take this out, I could take that out. And invariably somebody says, well, what about this? What about that? So I don't know. I sometimes have to slap my hand from adding more, adding more, right? That's why being being in print helps. But David and I are actually teaching this right now to a group of a church that's just started in the Chicago area, just precious, precious couples. We're going through it week by week. They read the chapter together. They memorize the verse. Then they come and they have a couple's discussion time where, you know what, maybe at home we don't have time to really talk through these things like we should. So there's a committed time. Spend this time, just the two of you, talking through these issues that are presented in this book. And you know what? It brings up a lot. It brings up a lot because you are two different people that married each other and you have a lot of differences and you want to work on it. You want to be really become united as one, like I said. So another thing that we do that I think is very fun. So we, they do the lesson, then we have a discussion time together that David and I lead and we go through all the material. But every family, we put the names of their kids on these cards. So this happens to be this group that we're doing right now, and we just, you know, every, the pink ones are the same family, so we spread them out on the tables, and every week we pray by name for these children, because you wouldn't think, I mean, the number of children that you're impacting is incredible. You have, that's a family. That's a family. So I like the thought that we are purposely bringing the name of each child before the Lord and praying for them, praying for all of those things that we're studying, specifically applying them to our own homes. So um, I started to, this year, finally decided to re-record the lessons because I see not just at first when I thought we did this book I thought well maybe we don't even need to do the mom's ministry anymore maybe it's just couples but I see an absolute need to do the mom's ministry for young moms to connect together and be encouraged and we developed a program I thought we need a program for the kids the moms are doing this the kids are coming and why not have something that reinforces theology in two to six-year-olds. So we developed a program. We call it Troopers because every time my husband comes home from work and he wonders if we have any grandkids in the house, he says, as soon as he comes in the door, got any Troopers? And so I had to name it Troopers. And this refresh year is uh, allowing me to uh, put that whole Troopers curriculum on the website, we're creating a new website for it, and people will be able to subscribe and do that whole women's ministry together. Um, just as an aside, we've taught, uh, we've had couples, I mean, people come to us randomly from different places of the world and ask for the translation. And, you know, if there's one thing I've understood about people is people are really the same, all over the world. We come from some very different governments and some cultural things, but really people in their hearts are so similar, and they love their children. People all over the world love their children, and people of faith want to uh, raise them up in the faith. So we have people from all over the world um, who have actually translated 
the material. And I always feel like I don't even know what to do here because I don't speak any of those languages, but it's exciting. So 20 years when I started this, I thought, we are fighting for the survival and integrity of the family. I said that 20 years ago, and it might have seemed like, well, maybe that's kind of an overdramatic thing to say. You're fighting for the survival of the family. But now 20 years later, that doesn't seem at all overdramatic or over the top, does it? Uh, I think that Satan always thought, I'll destroy families by attacking a particular person in that family, and, you know, things will be difficult for that family. But you know what? Families rally. They rally around the hurting members and themselves. All the more in a church, a family of families, they rally around the people in need and the people hurting. So Satan had to come up with a completely different scheme that I think he figured out about 10 years ago. And he's like, we'll just redefine the family. Oh, instead of attacking the family, I'm going to disseminate and I'm going to deconstruct the family. The family is God's basic unit of society in which he works and which he forms and which we have the opportunity of raising godly offspring. So it's very important. Uh, I, I just take it as a, it's a, uh, a calling, you know, and I just feel like a long obedience in the same direction, right? Just keep on doing what the Lord is calling me to do. And amazingly, it's just You know, we finish one thing, and then it's the next, and the next, and the next. You know, all of us want to know that when we are uh, done with, when we're gone from this earth, we want to know that our children carried on. The Bible talks so much about pass this on to your children and to your children's children. And, you know, you're watching to see, is faith holding strong in our kids, in our grandkids. And I see this more as grandparents reinforcing the spiritual growth in grandkids. It's definitely a responsibility. Well, David and I came back from a a trip down to Florida a few years ago, and our daughter, who was, you know, 40, said, I was telling her the story that we had just been swimming off the shore at this one particular beach, you know, as you do if you're a snowbird, you go down and you actually, you just jump right in the water and you don't know really what's in there. And uh, the next day, somebody caught a shark right where we were swimming. So I was telling my daughter this. She swims in open water because she does uh, these triathlons. And so she's like, I said, Emily, there was a shark right where we were swimming. And she said, a shark? Wow, that's my number two way to go. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Why in the world? Emily, who are you? <laughs> I'm like, I know she's tough. She's adventurous. She swims in open water. But I was like, no, why, why would you say that? She said, oh, they would say she was swimming along. Shark got her. And uh, I, I just, I couldn't even. I said, Emily, I don't even want to ask you what your number one way would be. I can't even. I. She's like, oh, Mom, you have to ask? I was like, I think I do. She said, no, Mom, really. You you, you think you have to ask? I said, I, I do. And she said, martyr. Now, of course, she wouldn't be looking for it. But she was saying, I would, I would, my number one way would be to die for the Lord. And then I felt like, okay, I think 
I could, I could die and she'd be okay. But I, I, she would carry on. Isn't that what we want to know about our children? That they will carry on, uh, when we're gone. I always say to my grandchildren, make sure that, you know, whatever happens to you in your life, just promise me you'll meet me in heaven. And, um, here's two verses I want to leave you with. My husband's going to come on because an important thing of what we do is disciple our kids and he's going to share, a Diagram about that, honey, I'm hurrying here. Acts 2.39 is one of the verses that they memorize in Entrusted. It says, for the promise is for you and your children too. As many as are far off, uh, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. I love knowing the, you know, that the Lord is faithful to us through the generations, even when we're gone. And then this last one, Psalm 78.6 that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, might arise and tell them to their children. So, thank you. Okay, thanks, Betsy. Well, um, I just want to finish up our, our time this morning talking about discipling our own children. Now, I love to disciple people. I've done it ever since I was in college. All kinds of different men and couples groups and different things like that. I just just have a passion for it. But I got my own kids. What's it like if I would work with other people but not my own kids? That would that's an awful place to to be, I think. So I have really taken it seriously, or in the past, obviously, because my kids are out of the house now, is I took it upon myself. And Betsy has worked with them, especially when they were young and going through Awana or uh, kids' clubs and different things. She helped them tremendously. But then there came a time in their life when they were about 6th, 7th, and 8th grade and, it, and they don't know what's going on in their lives during that period of time. One day they want to be act, treated like a child, and the next day they want to be treated like an adult. And they don't know the difference. And so that was my time. That was my opportunity to truly jump in and get involved with them. And I, and I took that on on a one-on-one basis. It wasn't like I gathered them all together and we had this little thing. I did it one-on-one and it lasted for about two to three years. Every week we would try to get together and sit down eyeball to eyeball and do this. I wanted to make sure they knew some things and that they, and that I could talk to them about them. They see, I don't believe guys, I mean, if there, if there's broken homes and so forth, God's always got a way to get things done in a, in a way that honors Him and takes care of the people involved. But, Dads, there is no one that can influence your children more than you. Think about that. You have a chance to truly impact your kids for Christ. And they'll do and remember the things that you did with them. I remember my dad. My dad was my hero. He pointed me to Jesus Christ. And... I, I think about him to this day. 
Every day I think about my dad. He died when he was 54 years old. I'm 63. But he's, he was my hero. He, he, was, he was never graduated from high school. He went into the military. He was a farmer. He was a truck driver. No one that the world would think, oh, that was really a great guy. The, the world would not have looked at him and very highly. To me. To me, he was the best. He taught me about Jesus Christ. He led me to the Lord when I was just 10 years old. And I'll never forget him. And I'll never forget what he stood for. So we have that opportunity. So I just want to share a little illustration with you that I use with all the different adult groups and different people that we've worked with over the years. But I, I, I have this little process. I call it the big picture. Where are you going? How are you going to get there? Where are you right now? I show them this little illustration over and over and over. At different, I mean, they might, if we work in every three months, we might go back and look at this again. So it starts out really, really easily. Um, there's a picture, and it's up there right now. It's a big picture. The first part of that picture is evangelism. Now, in Luke 19.10, it says, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. So Jesus Christ came into this world, Luke 19.10, and he had a purpose, to seek and to save that which was lost. And so as a result of Jesus coming into this world, evangelism started taking place. People were out sharing their personal testimony. People were out sharing the gospel message. People were living a life that attracted people to, to Christ. So evangelism takes place. Now, as you continue to go around, the next step is establishing. Now, when someone comes to Christ, when they're converted, when they're born again, when they have the Spirit of God indwelling them, they've placed their complete trust and faith in Jesus Christ alone. Acts 2.47 and he was adding to their number those who were being saved day by day. So after people heard the gospel and they came to Christ, they were born again. Now, what are they? They're just babies. They're just babies. And they need to grow up. And Ken referred to it this morning in his message. He talked about Hebrews 5.12. He says, For by now you ought to be teachers. But no, somebody has to go back and give you the pure milk of the Word. Some people don't grow up. They're Christians, but they just don't grow up. And I think that's a tragedy, that people don't grow in their faith. They're just wham, wham. They're still crying after they've known the Lord for ten years. They can't, they can't feed themselves. They can't share what they have with other people. They're babies in Christ. And I think that's a tragedy. And I, it makes me sad that's why I said when I, when I stood up here this morning, you guys had a, a church that you should be so thankful for. This is a place where you can grow and mature in Christ and go out and give that same blessing to other people that you've been given. This is a great place. So people need to grow. They can't be babies. Okay, what are, what, how do I establish them? What do I give them? I'm a very simple person, as Betsy was telling you yesterday. I think there's six things. And I, and I would even kid Ken a little bit. 
He's a great preacher. But he only talks about six things. Only six things, directly or indirectly. He's talking to you about six things. First thing is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives within me. And And He that lives in me. God is everything to you. Jesus Christ is first in your life. He's the Lord of your life. And then for Him to be Lord of your life, you have to be in the Word of God. I like to ask people, do you want to be successful? There's a blueprint in the Bible for you to be successful. Not according to this world, but according to God. And it's in Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. You need to be in the Word of God once a week? No. Five times a week? No. Seven days a week, you need to be in God's Word, looking at it, meditating on it, figuring out, how does this apply to my life? What should I be doing differently as a result of meeting with God today? We need to get them established in the Word. And then, just like breathing in and breathing out, they need to learn how to pray. Pray. Talking to my Father. That's all prayer is. I'm just talking to my Father I'm not repeating something memorized. I'm just sharing my heart to my Father. And you know what? One of the best things about prayer is you don't have to say a word. Just listen. Because God speaks to us through His Word. Some of the best prayer times I've ever had in my life, I've never said a word. I just listen. I want to listen to God. I don't want to talk. You know, I always say a little thing about prayer. i got to be careful about the time. Um, if I, if I told you guys to put down your Bibles and don't take anything with you and just go find a place in the church and just go tell God everything you want to tell Him and as soon as you're done, come back. Well, I'd be back in about ten minutes. But, if I took my Bible with me and I had two questions that the Apostle Paul asked on the road to Damascus. Who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do, Lord? Just those two questions. And I were to read a little bit of Scripture. I would come back in maybe two or three hours. Because I would not only be talking to God, I would be listening to God. And people need to be established in their faith. They need to to build that pattern of prayer and that dependence. Does God know what you say before you say it? Yeah. But what, what are you doing? You're telling God how much you depend upon Him. So, Lordship of Christ, the Word of God, prayer. They also need to be established in their need for biblical fellowship. They need to be around other Christians. God doesn't want Christians to be lone rangers out there by themselves. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Let us consider how to stimulate one another. Do not forsake your assembling together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Then they need to be, they need to learn how to share their faith. Learn how to share their testimony. Learn how to share the gospel using the Word of God. They need to be witnesses. Acts 1.8 says, And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to the remotest part of the earth, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest part of the earth. And then you, you need to be living a life 
of obedience. You know, God knows whether you love Him or not. He does. John 14, 21, He says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, He it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. So God knows whether you love him. And if you want to keep growing in your faith, you better obey what he's already showed you, what he's already taught you. And then he'll take you on to the next thing, and the next thing. And then you become more and more like Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's the establishing part. Then the next is the equipping part. Because once you become established, then you become an effective follower of Jesus Christ. Then the next step is you need to be equipped. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, He gave some as apostles and pastors and teachers. <laughs> what is your pastor's main job? Yeah, teach. Preach. Visit people in the hospital. Do all the lead all the community groups, do everything, right? No, no, no. His job is to equip you and me to do that. Now, he does that himself personally just out of his natural walk with God. But nevertheless, his main job is to equip you and I to do the work of the ministry. And you know what? We can do it better than him. Not because we're more gifted. We're not. We're more. There's more of us. We can, just think of all the people you can touch. As you're, if you've been equipped to do the work of the ministry, you know how to lead a small group. You know how to do counseling with people when they're hurting and when their marriages are struggling. You can jump in and be a part of ministering to people. And when you have a whole group of people ministering, it's much more effective than just a very, very few pastors and leaders in your church. That's a responsibility that we can all take on and we can all be equipped to do the work of the ministry. So the last section is called Enlisted. Enlisted. And I absolutely love this one. 2 Timothy 2.4 No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of this world but is out to please the one who enlisted him. These folks are workers. You know, when Jesus in Matthew chapter 9 says, He looked at the people and He felt compassion for them because they were sheep without a shepherd. And He said, Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that He would send workers into His harvest. Enlisted people who want to serve God, not just for a little while, but with the rest of their lives. Enlisted people, workers, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So we need to be enlisting people. Now, so that's the big picture. That's that's what our Christian lives are all about. Everybody in this room is somewhere on that diagram. Now, once you identify where you are, you need to ask yourself three questions. The first question is, where am I? Second question is, where would I like to be? And the third question is, how am I going to get there? You know, I can watch the Super Bowl tonight or I can go to my community group. I'm not kidding you about the Super Bowl. That's, it's just goofy. Kansas City's going to win. Okay, but anyway, you know, you, you have to make choices. 
Are you going to take your kid to every soccer game in the world? I, I once had a guy in my small group come up to me and he says, Well, Dave, I'll see you, I'll see you at church in about three months. I said, Where are you going? He said, Well, my kid's on a soccer team and they play every Sunday. What are you teaching your son? You're teaching your son to idolize sports. And that's not what you want to teach your son. You want to teach your son that God is preeminent. Jesus Christ needs to be preeminent in your life. So we just need to keep going. All right? So where are you? Where do you want to be? And how are you going to get there? And then I want to close with one passage of Scripture, and then I'm done. If you have your Bible, turn to John 21. Sometimes this verse makes me cry, but I promise I won't do that to you today. John 21, starting at verse 15. And then we're done. And think of your kids. Think of the people that you have an opportunity to minister to in this church. John 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had asked him a third time, Do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. And I'd ask you and I the same question that Jesus asked Peter. Do you love Jesus? Do you really love Jesus Christ? Well, if you do, you're going to grow up. You're going to get yourself equipped. You're going to become a worker. And you're going to feed God's sheep. You're going to take care of your brothers and sisters in Christ until they grow up and they can go help somebody else. We're going to be about doing that. We're going to be about go therefore and make disciples. Okay? So this is part of, it's in chapter 15 of Betsy's book, Entrusted with a Child's Heart. Disciple your own kids. And then it goes from there. So thank you so much. Thank you, Ken. Really appreciate it. Well, I am thankful for three things related to all this. First, I am very thankful for you too. I'm thankful for your example, for the Lord's work in your life, for your obedience to doing what he's called you to do and now benefiting people like us with what he's called you to do. So I'm thankful for you guys. And I'm thankful for Entrusted and the materials and what you've described. And I'm excited about the possibility then and our intention to use those materials here in our church 